How do you make things right with God? Or do you even need to? If you were to go out and ask the people that you know this question, is life the way it should be? How do you think they'd answer? It's a different kind of question than, how you doing? How are things going? It's a little bit deeper than most people are prepared to answer. Who's got time really to think about how life is going if you're too busy living it? So what about you? How would you answer? Is life the way that it should be? Now, what if we asked a different question? Is your life the way that it should be? You've been shaped by the world around you. The experiences that you've had growing up, your family, your friends, your education, the culture and society in which you've lived. In the same way, you make choices every day that go back and shape the world around you. Have you always made the right choices? Well, they say nobody's perfect, right? Definitely not any of us. So that being said, how's your relationship with God? You might think you're in pretty good standing with your Creator. Or at least maybe, okay, all right standing before your Creator. You haven't done enough really bad things to get on God's naughty list, right? And, you know, you've probably done enough good stuff to outweigh all the other things, or at least hopefully to level it out. Maybe you've done enough to get by for all those things that you might have done or said or thought that make you fall short of God's standards. What would his answer be to, is your life the way that it should be? Well, if you're looking for a way to live, you could turn to the Ten Commandments, the instruction that God gave to Moses and his people on Mount Sinai, what we heard in Exodus chapter 22 this morning. You do far worse for a guidebook for living, right? When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, about the greatest of the commandments, he summed them up saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So just do that and you're good to go. Well, the problem here one that I think you already see, is that God does not grade on a scale. You're either perfect or you've fallen short. If you break even one of the commandments in the slightest, you are no less imperfect than someone who has broken them all. And if nobody's perfect, then we are all in trouble. Well, God knows nobody's perfect. He knew that his people would fall short. They would fail to live according to his design and instruction. He knew that life would not be as it should be. What's more, he knew that nothing that they did could make things right with him. 
God gave Moses and his people the tabernacle, the place of his dwelling where he would come to be with them. It was a holy place where the people could offer sacrifices that would symbolically substitute for them in making atonement, in reconnecting with God. The tabernacle, and later the temple in Jerusalem, would be the place for the people to go for things to be made right with God. But by the New Testament era, as we heard in the gospel reading, the sacrificial system had become polluted. The business side of atonement was edging out the true purpose of the temple with vendors selling sacrificial animals to the pilgrims who made their journey up to Jerusalem. Jewish males were required to annually pay a temple tax using a special, specific coin, the Tyrian shekel. It was a coin that the money changers would gladly provide for a fee. And all this took place in the court of the Gentiles, people who could be only there in the temple in those outermost regions, that outermost court. So entering into Jerusalem, going into the temple, Jesus saw the pollution, and he acted to make things right. It's why Jesus came into the world in the first place, to make things right with God. So Jesus cleanses the temple to ensure that the business side of atonement did not interfere with the actual business of atonement. That's part of it, but there's more. Jesus removes the sacrificial animals from the temple court, those beasts that would be offered up for the sins of the people, because their time is done. No animal, no creature could truly accomplish the atonement that was required for our sin. All those sacrifices of the past, they prefigured, they looked ahead to the one sacrifice that was to come, the ultimate sacrifice that would finally take the place of God's people in making things right with him. How do you make things right with God? You don't. God does. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, the one to which all those others pointed ahead. All those burnt offerings in the temple, all those sheep and oxen and pigeons, they were offered up because of the sins of the people. There was a lot of sin that needed atoning for. Everything that humanity has done in an attempt to deny God's instruction, instruction that's summed up in those Ten Commandments, everything that human beings have done in opposition to God's authority, Jesus gave himself for them. Jesus gave himself for you. God's wisdom was shown in the seeming foolishness of the cross, the sign that dominates this season of Lent. Lent points us to the divine sign that God offered up in Jesus' suffering, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, the sign of Jesus' authority. But it is most of all the sign of Jesus' love for you. With the old temple cleansed, Jesus has consecrated for service the new temple of his body. God came to be with his people in flesh and blood. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise of the restoration of relationship that we once enjoyed with him. 
the body of our Lord, that temple that would be torn down and in three days raised up again would hang upon a cross as the ultimate sacrifice offered up for the sins of the people. With the arrival of Jesus on the scene, there is no longer any need for the temple in Jerusalem or anywhere else. We don't need to go there to be made right with God, to return from our exile of sin. We have the cross. We have Jesus. The evangelist shows that Jesus' entire ministry is kind of an extended passion week framed with the cross and the resurrection in sight. In John's gospel account, as we heard today, Jesus' cleansing of the temple happens early on. It's only the second chapter. Jesus has come to make things right with God, knowing from the very outset the price that would be required of him. Jesus offered himself up, consecrated, as the ultimate sacrifice because he knew that life was not the way that it should be. Jesus offered himself up, consecrated as the ultimate sacrifice, with you in sight. Jesus offered himself up, consecrated as the ultimate sacrifice, so that you might live and have life the way that it was meant to be, with God. Through Jesus, you were cleansed. You have been washed by the blood of the Lamb and set free from the debt of sin. Through Jesus, you were consecrated. You are now set aside for service to all as an agent of God's grace. How do you make things right with God? You can't. You can't do it through moralism. Even so, we follow Jesus and listen to his instruction. The Ten Commandments show us what it looks like to live as God's cleansed and consecrated people. You can't do it through sacrifice. And even so, you are free to fast and pray during the time of Lent as a practice of spiritual discipline. If you do feel the need to give up something, how about you give up one hour a week and gather together with God's people for a midweek Lenten worship service to hear God's word, to be strengthened for this journey, this return from exile that we go through together. How do you make things right with God? You don't. But Jesus does. Amen.